Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Today we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Luke. And we've been looking at the story of Jesus. Um, Luke is one of the four men that Jesus uh, used, God used to write the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels right at the beginning of your New Testament. And uh, we are looking at the Gospel of Luke. And we've made it so far up to chapter 5. In fact, we broke into chapter 5 a couple weeks ago, and we're going to continue with that today with Luke chapter 5, and our story is going to come from just a few short verses in Luke 5, verses 12 to 16. And the title of the message today is Touching the Untouchable. Touching the Untouchable. If you're familiar with the stories of Jesus's life, your mind may go immediately to what we're going to be talking about today. But before we read the story and jump into it, I want you to imagine with me to maybe help us feel what the main character of the story besides Jesus, Jesus is always the main character of any story he's in, but the main character of our story to to kind of try to feel a little bit of what he felt and to at least imagine a little bit of what he experienced You know, we just came through and we're not quite done yet with a couple of years of a pandemic called COVID. We've all had different experiences with that personally and people that we know and love. We have all known of people that we have lost to it. But if you could imagine another disease raising its ugly head, similar to COVID, but a little bit different. And different in the sense of being even worse. What do you mean by even worse? If you could imagine a disease that would come along that you could catch by just being in someone's presence, by being too close, by touching them, which was certainly true of COVID. But once you got that disease, there was no known cure. And it wasn't something that would just hopefully, possibly prayerfully pass through your system and be over. It would be something that you would continue to have. And the symptoms may not be bad at the beginning. In fact, they might be very, very light. It might even take you a little while to realize that you have this disease. But once you realize it, you knew it for sure. And it would progressively get worse and worse and worse. And it wouldn't happen fast. It would happen very slowly. The only thing that you could possibly do would be to totally isolate yourself. There's a similarity to COVID, but, but to totally and completely separate you, separate yourself from anybody and everybody else except for maybe other people who had the same disease, because what difference does that matter? This disease would cause you to lose feeling in the extremities of your body, your fingers and your toes. And because of that, if you were to bump it or scrape it or cut it, you wouldn't even know. So over time, you begin to lose your fingertips. You begin to lose your toes over a long period of time because you normally would not die of this disease. You just, it would just keep getting worse. You would might even lose your whole hand. You just, it sounds pretty bad, doesn't it? There was a disease like that in Jesus' day called leprosy. Say, well, we still have leprosy today. Yes, we do. But um, we've learned a lot more about it. And we've learned some other things about treating it and taking care of people that have it. And we've learned that some of the things that used to be thought about leprosy are no longer true. But in Jesus' day and in the cultures before Jesus' day, up through Jesus' day, that's the way leprosy was. And we're going to look at a story today about a man who had leprosy. He was an untouchable. Not only did you not want to get anywhere near a person with leprosy, you didn't want to get near this man and didn't want to to touch him, but you wanted to be as far away as possible. And we're going to see that Jesus touched the untouchable. Now, you might immediately think, well, what's that going to have to do with us? There's a lot that this story is going to have a lot to do with us personally. And we're going to dig into that today. So we're looking 
at Luke chapter 5, verses 12 to 16. Let's jump into that. Where we are in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is in the middle of his ministry. And he has called at least some of his disciples to follow him. And they are doing that. And they are traveling from place to place. He's preaching. He's teaching. He's talking about the kingdom of God. He has already been healing people and delivering people from demonic spirits. The reputation has spread far and wide. Wherever Jesus is, if people know he's going to be there, a great crowd shows up. And it's interesting because many of them, most of them are coming because they are in desperate need and they want Jesus to touch them. So we pick the story up in Luke 5, starting in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, we don't even know what city, there came a man full of leprosy. The fact that he says he's full of leprosy lets us know that this disease that he has, it's in an advanced stage. He may already be missing certain body parts. I mean, and it's really, really, really bad. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Notice he says you can make me clean, not just you can heal me. He needed to be healed. But leprosy in the Bible was often looked at as a punishment from God for sin. And it had the connotation all through Scripture, even up through the day of Jesus, that if you got leprosy, you not only needed to be healed, but you needed to be cleansed. You needed to be purified. You needed to be made right with God once again. And there was a whole process that you would go through if by some chance you would be cured from leprosy where you went to the priest and the priest would kind of serve as a medical official and they would examine you and if they had every reason to believe that you had been healed then they would anoint you there was a whole process a, a ritual, a ceremony you'd go through there were offerings that would be offered and gifts that would be given and you would be pronounced clean and you could go back out into society now, whenever you read about leprosy in the Old Testament, leprosy was basically a whole category of skin diseases. From something as simple as a rash, ringworm, psoriasis, you know, just the various things. And those kind of things would heal. And that's great. But this type of leprosy that we're talking about today, the type that was so dreaded, that was so feared, there was no known cure and there is no record of anybody ever having been cured from it except from a miracle from God. And so this man with leprosy saw Jesus. He fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And Jesus charged him to tell no one but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing. Moses commanded, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So this leprosy, this particular type of leprosy. Again, leprosy refers to any kind of skin disease, but this type that was so feared, it affected every area of your life. It wasn't just physical, but it affected your spiritual aspect because it was considered to be a judgment, a punishment from God. And not only that, because of your condition, you could not go to where you were supposed to go to worship, to hear God's word taught and shared, the synagogue or the temple. It affected you socially. You couldn't be around your friends. You could no longer work. You could no longer provide for your family. And even worse, you could no longer be around your family. If you were married, you would never again, under normal circumstances, have any kind of contact with your spouse. You would probably never again with, get within any kind of close distance, maybe a shouting distance. I don't know of your spouse, of your kids, of your parents, of your grandkids, of anybody for that matter. When you went around, if you traveled, and you could possibly be within 
a certain amount of distance of other people. You had to take the initiative to make sure they knew you had leprosy. You had to shout at the top of your voice, unclean, unclean. Basically saying, stay away from me. Don't get close. You had to be totally isolated. And that's the situation that this man finds himself in. And it says that as Jesus is traveling around, he comes to Jesus. Now, how did he come to Jesus? You know, it says that Jesus had been in a certain town. We don't know which one. If he is actually in town and this man approaches him, the man is breaking the law because he is getting close to people. If Jesus is outside the town because he's been in the town, now he's leaving, or maybe he's staying outside the town, and he approaches him, he's still breaking the law because he's drawing close to Jesus. But he is so desperate for help. He's so desperate for a cure. He's so desperate to be healed. He's so desperate to be cleansed. He's willing to break the law and face any consequences to get close to this man that he has heard has tremendous power from God. When we read the story of Jesus in the Gospels, we see that he did heal a number of lepers. But this is the first one in the Gospel of Luke. So maybe this was the first one he ever healed. I don't know. Maybe he healed some other ones. So this leper had heard about it. He says, there's hope for me yet. And so he comes to Jesus. I want to point out a couple other little details of this story before we jump into how this applies to us. First of all, after Jesus did heal him, and he healed him immediately... I can't help but imagine, even though we don't have the exact details, that once Jesus touched him and he was healed, that the flakes and whatever it was, all the obvious signs of the leprosy would just fall off of his body. Perhaps even fingers and toes that he had lost would regrow. It was obvious that he had been healed from leprosy. But Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody about it. Now, that might have raised a question. Why did Jesus tell him not to tell anybody? I mean, obviously, if he went out and told everybody, wouldn't that just bring more attention to Jesus, draw more people? And, and in fact, that was exactly the, the result. In fact, if you read the same story in Mark, it says that Mark tells us that this man di- dis- disobeyed Jesus. He did go out and tell everybody. And it just caused more crowds to come around. So why did Jesus tell him not to do so? And we see this in a couple of places in the story of Jesus where Jesus will heal somebody or deliver them from a demon, uh, deliver, uh, cast out a demon or whatever, and he'll say, well, listen, don't, don't go tell anybody, okay? Other times he does tell people to go tell people. When he delivered uh, the demoniac, the, the name that's given to him in the Bible, the man that was full of demons, and Jesus cast them out, and, and they went into these pigs, and the pigs rushed over the cliff and into the water drowned. He actually told that man to go back and tell his family and friends what he had done. That makes more sense to us, but why these times when he told him not to tell? Well, we don't have the exact answer in Scripture where it says, well, Jesus told him not to tell because. But there's a lot of very good possible answers to that. One of the main ones that most Bible scholars believe to be true, and I believe that it's at least one of the reasons he told him to, was that he was concerned that people would go out and make such a big deal of this that people would think he was the Messiah they were hoping for, which he was. But they had a very limited view of the Messiah that they were hoping for. They were hoping for and looking for the Messiah, the one that God was going to send, who was going to reestablish God's kingdom on earth, kick out all the people that caused oppression and injustice, and cause peace and prosperity for everyone. Which is what Jesus will do one day because he is the Messiah. But yet God's word had spoken about a Messiah who also would have to come and suffer and die for the sins of the people. And that's what he'd come to do. And so if the word got out too soon, too quick, too loud, people could come and try to force him or force circumstances to have him declared as the Messiah, the one that was going to come and kick out the Romans. And it could lead to a showdown much earlier than it needed to happen. In fact, there's a couple places where it talks about the people were actually trying to do that. So that may be one of the reasons why he said, don't tell anybody. But also... It is great publicity. It was great publicity. People came, but they were coming. Not for the main reason they needed to come. They were coming for healing, which is important. And Jesus loved them and he cared about them. And he did heal them. But he came to tell them of God's love and of the establishment of his kingdom and that God was going to set them free from their sins. But all they wanted was to be healed. 
So it was a distraction from the main message and the main purpose that Jesus came to accomplish on his way to the cross. But also it could be that he didn't want the man to be so distracted and excited about being healed, he'd go tell everybody he'd forget to go to the priest. (laughs) He needed to go to the priest. He needed to follow the instructions in the law so that he could be verified as truly being healed and have that declared by the priest so he could once again enter society and be with his family again and start life again. Whatever the case, those are possible reasons why Jesus told him not to tell anyone. And I also want to point out one other thing, and we could do a whole message on it, but we're not going to do that. It's easy because of the excitement of what Jesus does in this story to miss the very last verse verse in this story, verse 16. After saying that people gathered around him and came great crowds to hear him and to be healed, it says, but he would withdraw to a desolate, to desolate places and pray. Jesus found it very difficult to be alone. Even going out into the wilderness, the people heard he was there, they'd flock there. But it said that he deliberately, after ministering to people, would leave where they were and go to some place where there wasn't anybody else, a desolate place, so he could spend that time with his father. And even though we're only in chapter 5 of Luke, we have seen several times already Jesus doing that. And we're going to see it several times more throughout the story. How important prayer is is a theme for Luke, but how important prayer is to Jesus. And so even though it's not the main focus of our sermon today, I just want to emphasize that again, that if prayer was important to Jesus, if Jesus being God come in the flesh needed that time, spent with his heavenly father how much more do we need that time with the heavenly father keeping in mind that prayer is not just asking god for stuff okay too often that's how we associate prayer well i got to ask god for stuff we can't ask god for stuff but prayer is spending that time with our father if we have a relationship with him through jesus christ but today what i want to really focus on is what this story tells us about jesus And what it tells us about what we need from him and what we can receive from him. So first of all, let's take a look at what this story tells us about Jesus. There's a whole list I could give you. I'm just going to give you four things that that really stood out to me that, that, that this story tells us about Jesus. And the first one is this, Jesus is able. Jesus is able. Jesus is able to what? Well, to be honest, Jesus is able to do anything he wants. Okay. Jesus is able. You know, in verse 12, the leper comes to him. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This man had faith. He had faith that Jesus could. He just didn't know if he would. He didn't come and say, Jesus, I think maybe you can do something about this. Or Jesus, would you try to do something about this? He says, Jesus, you can do something about this. And not just something. You can do the impossible. You can take this away. You can heal me. You can make me clean again. Jesus is able. And we see that during his ministry, Jesus demonstrated his ability to heal and cast out demons and eventually raise the dead. He provided for other needs, including food. You you, you all know the story of the great crowd that gathered and he taught them and everything and it's time to go home. They're all hungry and the disciples say, send them home. He says, feed them first. And of course, he, multi- uh, he multiplied the loaves and fishes. And that was two separate occasions that we have recorded that he did that. We see stories of Jesus having power and authority over nature when he calms the storm. We see in our next story, which unless something changes, we'll be looking at next week as we continue on in Luke, that he has the power and authority to forgive sins which only God can do, which is what causes the problems. We'll see that next week. Jesus has all power and authority. In fact, before he ascended into heaven, when he's meeting with his disciples, one of those last times before he ascends, he tells them in Matthew 28, 18, all authority, which means not just the right and the, and, 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 uh, the authority, but the power, the ability, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he sends them out in that authority to accomplish his purpose of making disciples and such. Can I tell you that just as Jesus was able then, he is able now. Jesus is able. 
I don't know what you might be facing today. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what you might need from Jesus, which is the second part of what we're going to look at today. After we look at what this story tells us about Jesus, we're going to talk about what we need from Jesus. But Jesus is able. Jesus is able. And I'm just telling you right now, and I'll mention again, maybe a couple times over the next uh, 20 minutes to a half an hour, but at the end of the message today, our worship team is going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a course that points to Jesus, which almost all of our courses point to Jesus, but specifically (laughs) really points to Jesus. And our elders and my wife and I are going to be down here and we're going to be here ready to pray with people who need a touch from Jesus. And I just want to have you even stirred right now to know that Jesus is able. Jesus is able. The second thing we see about Jesus in this story is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And this is why he's able. Why is Jesus able? Because he's Lord. Now, he could have been able because he was a very, very special man sent from God and God had put special power in him. And that's what many people believed. He could have been able because... Uh, God was using him to do a special work. He could have been able because he was some great prophet of God. And when people looked at the stories of the prophet of God and the old prophets of God in the Old Testament, God had given them power to verify their message by doing miracles. And many people thought that was true. But we see that Jesus is more than all those things. Jesus is Lord. The leper says, again in verse 12, Lord... If you will, you can make me clean. And he's able to do this because he is Lord. Now, we don't know exactly what the leopard, leopard, the leper, or even other people who called Jesus Lord throughout his ministry. We do not know exactly what they truly meant at this time. Because, you see, there was a growing awareness of who Jesus is and who he was and who he came to be. In a story previous to this, Peter does something similar to the leper, not for the same reason, but he falls on his knees before Jesus and he calls him Lord. Do people this early in the story truly recognize that Jesus is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God come in the flesh? Probably not yet, but there's hints, there's wondering. This term Lord was also used of a slave to its master or of anybody to someone who was in authority and worthy of respect. And certainly that was true of Jesus. Well, we know that as we go through the gospel stories, Luke's and the others, there's a growing awareness that this man is not just a man. And that this man who is so powerfully used by God is not just a man who's been powerfully anointed by God to do great things, but he's more than that. Of course, at this time in history, looking back, and basically from any time after the resurrection, it's easy to look back and say, Jesus was not just some great man, some powerful man, some anointed man from God, but God himself come to earth. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And that's one of the purposes why Luke wrote his gospel. And we've been encouraging you and those of you that are watching online, if you do not, if you find yourself in a situation where you're not sure what you believe or think about Jesus, if you're walking this journey with us, have an open mind, have an open heart, look at the evidence. Because one of the reasons Luke wrote was to show that Jesus, Jesus truly is God come in the flesh. Savior of the world, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I can just tell you that we are praying for you if you find yourself in that situation that you would become convinced that Jesus truly is God and that Jesus is Lord. But can I speak for just a moment? Of course I can. You can't stop me. Anyway, (laughs) sorry, I just had to throw that in there. To those of us that have a relationship with God, we have no problem believing that Jesus is God come in the flesh. He came to die for our sins and we have a relationship with God through him and through what he's done. Can I just challenge uh, those of us that we fall in that camp to make sure that we are truly claiming, believing, and living the fact that Jesus is Lord and not just Savior. I want you to think about that for a moment. We want a Savior, but we're not so sure we want a Lord. Because we need somebody to help us. 
We need somebody to meet our needs. We need somebody to provide for us. We need somebody to guide us and lead us. And, and when we're in a bind, I mean, we may be very, very independent, but the most independent of us are still going to face situations. We don't know what to do, and we don't know where the answer is going to come from. And we need someone, and we want someone. But are we willing to recognize that Jesus is not just Savior? He is Lord. And you may hear people talk about, you may have heard me talk about it in the past, and I'm talking about it right now, you know, about accepting Jesus as Savior and Lord. You don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. You just recognize it and submit to it. The Bible is full of stories, especially in the Old Testament, of God's people who desperately needed a Savior, and they cried out to Him to be delivered from their enemies and this, that, and the other. But they weren't willing to serve Him as Lord. We talk about inviting Jesus to be our Savior, and He certainly wants to be our Savior. He certainly came to die to save us from our sins, But that whole concept of inviting him to be our Savior without acknowledging him as Lord is not a biblical concept at all. If he's our Savior, he's our Lord too. The question is, do we recognize that? Do we live by that? Well, I'm just going to leave it at that. The third thing that we see about Jesus in this story is that Jesus is compassionate. Now, that word is not used in this story, but when you have words that are used to describe Jesus, compassion is one of the main ones that is used. You know, perhaps you have known or know of people who have power and they have authority and they can make things happen, but they don't care. For any number of reasons. But that's not the way Jesus is. Jesus is God come in the flesh. He is able to do anything he wants because he is Lord, but he does care. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands But probably every single one of us could raise our hands and answer to the question, did you ever wonder, does God really care? And it's not because we had somebody tell us or or whatever that God really doesn't care. It's just because we've asked him for something. We've pleaded with him for something. We've been desperate for a touch. We've and, And it seems like God is not doing anything. And so it's easy to start to wonder, does God really care? Does Jesus really care? Can I tell you this story is an illustration of the fact that Jesus is compassionate. The word compassion has a number of different ways it's described. I like this one. It says, it is genuine sensitivity and heartfelt sympathy for the needs of others. Jesus was a loving, caring, feeling person. And can I tell you, he was that way for everyone. Not just the important people, not just the pretty people, not just the richest people. In fact, to be honest with you, Jesus showed more attention to and compassion for the poor, the outcast, the rejected. Was it because he loved them more than the rich and the powerful and the leaders? No, it's because they came to him. It's because they responded to him. Can I tell you that Jesus loved the religious leaders that were so against him and that had him crucified just as much as he loved this leper? But they weren't open to him. They didn't respond to him. But we see that that also is a theme of Luke of how Jesus reaches out to the outcast and he lifts people up, those socially ignored and unacceptable. And it's an important part of the gospel, the gospel, the good news of God's love for people and his willingness to save them on the basis of what Jesus did is for everyone. It's for everyone. We see his compassion here in verse 13 when it says, and Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Again, Jesus is touching this leper. Did Jesus have to touch the leper to heal him? No. Jesus could have stood at a distance and said, okay, you're healed. 
He did heal people from a distance. In fact, sometimes he healed people that weren't even in his presence. Somebody came and told him about somebody who needed a healing and they may have been a block away, a mile away, wherever, and Jesus just spoke a word and at that very instant they were healed even though they weren't in his presence. But we've already seen in this story of Jesus that most of the time when Jesus healed people, he did it by getting up close and personal and laying his hand on them. You see, Jesus gave it the personal touch. We're used to that that, that familiar saying, and, and that familiar saying comes from being personal enough and close enough that you can touch, that you do touch, that there's that connection. And Jesus, in ministering to people, was so full of compassion, he gave each of them as individuals the personal touch. It wasn't necessary. His power could do it without, but he did it anyway. When we looked at the story of when Jesus had that evening after a very long day and at sunset, people, hundreds of people are coming to be healed and Jesus ministered to them one by one by one. It's because of his compassion. Now, it's even more meaningful in this story because touching a leper was something you did not do. In fact, it was against the law. And I don't mean just political laws but the religious laws that you do not touch a leper because then you become unclean and take the chance of catching this disease and and most people were like get away no there's no way you know you think of all the things that we've been through with covid and rightly so of all the concerns about being too close and in in a situation where you might get it it was a lot worse even for leprosy but jesus touched him Think about this. This man may not have been touched by another human being for years. Had never had human touch. Now, that may not seem like that big of a deal, but you know what? We would appreciate human touch a whole lot more if we had to go without it. We would appreciate human contact and nearness a whole lot more if we had to go without it. Most of us have never had to do that, at least not for any long period of time. The thing I love about this is that it's quite obvious and it's the point that most people make when they write about this story or preach about this story or teach about this story and that is that rather than Jesus being contaminated by the leper, the leper was cleansed by Jesus. Why was it Jesus could touch him? Why was it that Jesus could do that freely without any concern? Because Jesus' holiness and his power was greater than the leper's leprosy. And rather than being contaminated by the leper as most everybody else would have been, the leper was cleansed by Jesus. And can I just tell you that Jesus cares for you. That his compassion that is so demonstrated all throughout his story is still true today. Even when and especially when you wonder, God, do you really care? I want to tell you, and it's only based on God's word and my own experience, and I've had my moments like that too. God does care. You say, well, why doesn't he show it? We'll talk a little bit about that today, but that's a whole other study. That sometimes, even though God loves us and cares about us and wants what's best for us, it, it's like, well, where is he at? He lets us go through those times. Before we move on to the fourth thing, though, I just want to say that not only is this true in his feeling for us, we need to remember that this, is, this, this should be an example for us. That just as Jesus was compassionate and caring and he reached out to other people, we also need to do the same thing. In fact, Paul tells us in Colossians 3.12 that we should have compassionate hearts. When you read that whole passage, he's talking about how there's certain things in our life that we need to get rid of and take off and other things that we should bring into our lives and put on. And he kind of uses the picture of taking off old, dirty clothes, putting on new, clean clothes after we've been bathed. And one of the things that he mentions is compassion and a lot of things that go along with compassion, like love and forgiveness and gentleness and all that kind of stuff. As I was studying this last week, I came across this. I thought this was so good that just like Jesus, we also should touch the untouchable, love the unlovable, and forgive the unforgivable. That'd be a whole nother great three-point sermon, but I won't preach that one today. The fourth and last thing, there's other things in here that I see in this story about Jesus is that Jesus is willing. Jesus is willing. Going back to the story, verses 5 
uh, chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, the leper says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And he was clean. Why did the leper say, if you will? If you will. I mentioned earlier, Jesus healed a number of lepers, but maybe this is the first one. Maybe because leprosy was so bad, he really believed Jesus could, because he says, I know you can make me clean. If you will, you can. You can make me clean. But maybe he hadn't heard of any other lepers being healed and made clean, thinking that maybe that was something that God just didn't want to do. Maybe it could be that he had bought into the whole idea that his leprosy was a judgment and punishment from God, although I would imagine like many other people and even ourselves, we could have searched his heart and said, I don't know what this is. I don't know why God, in the, why in the world God let this happen to me and why it's whatever. You know, we all relate to that uh, feeling too. But he may have felt unworthy. It's like, yeah, Jesus could heal me, but why should he? Maybe I deserve what I have. Maybe I deserve the situation I am in. And maybe we can relate to that a little bit. We've got a big problem in our life, and we realize that we're the ones that created it. Whether it's a problem in a relationship, in a marriage with our kids, a problem with our finances, a problem with our health. We've not paid any attention to our health for so long and done things that were bad for our health, and now we're sick. I can ask God to heal me, but why would he? I don't, I'm not really worthy, and I'd really kind of cause the problem myself, and so maybe I shouldn't even bother asking, and... And so, for whatever reason, the leper is saying, if you will, rather than, Jesus, just heal me. There's a lot of different reasons. Doubts, fears, concerns. And isn't this really the big question for us, or at least for most of us in our prayers? I mean, if we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what he did for us on the cross, and we say, you know, God is God. God can do whatever he wants. All right? He's able to do anything. And I believe he's Lord. But does he really care and is he willing to do what I need to have done? And it'd be so easy to look at the character of God and the things that we've already talked about and said, yes, it is. So he is willing. And if we aren't careful, that can lead to some really odd teachings that we love and would love to believe are 100% true but are not scripturally true and those teachings being that God always wants to fully completely heal bless enrich provide anything you want or need for his people right now it's sometimes talked about as the health and wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel. But since that doesn't really happen all that well, it leads to some other truths that we don't see in God's word either. And that is that if you are praying for something, if you are praying for healing for a physical need in your body or for this, that, and the other that you want or something else and you don't get it right away, it's not God's fault, it's yours. You must not have enough faith. Or there must be sin in your life. Now, can I tell you, if we don't have faith, that can certainly keep us from receiving from God. If there's sin in our lives, that can keep us from receiving all that God has for us. But just because you've been praying for healing for the last week, couple months, year, decade, from a condition, and God has chosen not to heal you yet, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have enough faith or that there's some kind of hidden sin in your life. You say, well, pastor, then why do you say here Jesus is willing? Well, that's just a statement, very simple, very short, taken from this story. Jesus said, I will. Obviously, in this situation, Jesus was willing. It was part of God's plan and purpose for him to heal that man. So let me clarify that statement, okay? And that statement clarified is this. Jesus is always willing to do what is best for us. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that is, is supported by Scripture. But this does not mean that he's always willing to do what we may even desperately want him to do right now. 
And why is that? Again, that's subject for a whole different study and a whole different message, but let me give you a couple of thoughts that you can meditate on and think through, and you'll see all kinds of examples in Scripture. And if you're going to be honest, you'll see all kinds of examples in your own life. And, and I think the greatest way to illustrate this, and I've done this many times, so you can say, oh, I've heard you talk about that before, Pastor. That's okay. Some of you haven't. Some of you online maybe heard. And that is that God is a good father. And a good parent doesn't just do what their child demands or even politely asks for them to do right when they ask or demand. Because a good parent has a different perspective. And that's one of the main reasons why God doesn't always do what we want Him to do when we want Him to do it, because He has... God, Jesus, he has a different perspective. He sees more than we do. He sees the big picture. He sees that whatever happens here, how it's going to affect the future. Can I tell you that sometimes God's blessings in our lives can lead to terrible tragedy down the road? Not because of God, but because of the way we respond to it. We see examples of that in Scripture. He sees the big picture. He sees the circumstances. He sees how what he would choose to do for us, how it might not how it might not only affect us, but how it would affect other people. He also sees how if he leaves us in a situation facing certain circumstances that we'd rather not face, how that might change us for the good and not only us, but our example, other people. Not only does he have a different perspective as far as the circumstances now, but how it affects the future. And that leads into another thought in that he has a different priority system. He has a different priority system. Just like a parent, if a child or grandchild, it's harder for grandparents, but were to come 10 minutes before supper saying, can I have a big bowl of ice cream? Say, no, you can wait until after supper. That'll be dessert. You need to eat your vegetables first and your protein and, and, and whatever your, yeah, whatever your diet consists of that's good for you. We're often like little children coming to God. God, I want my ice cream. It would taste so good. It'd be so good. But God has a different priority system. He's more concerned about the eternal than the temporary. He's more concerned about what's going on in our lives and what we do and what he does for us and what we do together as we cooperate with his spirit and how that's going to affect the next hundred million years than just the next two months or even than the rest of our lives. Another great illustration of this is that if we are smart, we prepare for retirement financially. This isn't meant to be a money sermon, but when we're younger in life, we don't just take everything that we earn and even more than that because we can with credit cards and spend it all on what we want right then and there. No, we plan for the future. We plan for next year. We plan for the next decade. We plan for 20 years from now. We plan for when we retire. So when we get to retire, we've got something to live off of. Unfortunately, there are many people, I'm not saying in this room, I don't know, who have not planned for retirement. And they get there and it's like, how are we going to survive? There's a spiritual aspect to that too, and that is that we need to plan not only for retirement but we, for our, with our money, but we need to plan for eternity. Jesus had a lot to say about that. Invest in things that last forever. Invest in the kingdom of God. Lay your treasures up in heaven. Well, that's just an illustration so I can get back to the story here. But when Jesus, when God is looking at our lives and we're coming saying, God, would you heal me? Would you do this? Would you do the other? Would you work this situation out? He's more concerned about the inter- eternal impact of what we do and what he chooses to do for us and with us than just having something happen right here and right now that's going to make things better for a short period of time. He's also a whole lot more concerned about our character than the things that we own. That's why many times in prayer, you've heard me, if you're part of our church family, I encourage you to pray the same way. God, I've got my list. (laughs) Would you do this, 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 and this? And we can ask God for anything. Please know God loves us. He wants what is best for us. And he says we can come to him with any request. But there are times I'll say, but God, you know what I really need. There's some things that I may need that's not even on my list. And part of that has to do with my character. My character. 
You've made it clear in your word. You want me to be loving, so help me be more loving. You want me to be patient, so help me be more patient. They say you shouldn't pray for patience because God's going to put you in situations where you need it. To be honest with you, I think we all find ourselves in enough situations where we need patience. We probably don't need to pray for that one. But God sees the big picture. And and the last thing I'll say in association with this is he has a different schedule. Maybe he wants to do exactly what you're going to ask, but he knows that right now is not the best time. Why? That's what we ask him. Why? Why can't you do it now, God? Maybe he'll let us know. Maybe he won't. Maybe we'll get down the road and he will grant that request and we'll look back and say, I can see it now. I have a feeling, just my opinion, that when we get back, when we get to heaven, I hope you make it there. When we get to heaven, if God allows us to look back at our lives and all the things he did or didn't do in response to our prayers and our desires, we'll say, okay, God, I can see why you did it the way you did. Yep, (laughs) I really wanted that right then and you didn't. And looking back now, thank you that you didn't give it to me right away. I can see that already in my life. Things that I've prayed for, I'm so glad that God didn't give it to me the way I wanted him to when I wanted him to. He really does know better than we do. One of my favorite scriptures, and I've shared this with you before, a great promise to cling to in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That is not saying that all things that happen are good. It is not saying that all things that happen, God has deliberately caused. It just says that whatever does happen, whether God causes it or not, whether somebody who is evil causes it or not, whether we cause things through our own sin or stupidity, that if we follow after God and seek to be led by him and cooperate him, he can turn any bad situation into something good. I've seen that happen so many times in my life in ministry. There's other things about Jesus in this story, but these are the four that most stood out to me. Jesus is able to do anything because Jesus is Lord. But he's not somebody with a great amount of power and authority that doesn't really care. Jesus is compassionate. He loves us. He cares about us. And Jesus is willing, but he's willing to do what's best for us, which doesn't always line up with what we think is best for us. So as we approach wrapping this all up, How does this apply to us in just about every area of life? Because we need the touch of Jesus. We may need the touch of Jesus because we've got some desperate life overwhelming need or we may just need Jesus because I don't know about you, I need Jesus just to get through life and try to do it right. We need the touch of Jesus. And I ask, do you need the touch of Jesus today? As I said, in just a couple of moments, I'm going to call our elders down and my wife, and I'll go down at some point, and we're going to be here to pray with you. And if you'd like, we'll be glad to lay our hand on your shoulder. Whether We won't try to push you down or knock you over or anything like that. If you need physical healing in your body, if you'd like, we'll anoint you with oil. There's a passage in James that talks about if you're sick, go to the elders of the church or call the elders of the church to come to you and they will anoint you with oil which is nothing magical just a symbol of the Holy Spirit and God's presence and power and God will do what God wants to do and we'll be glad to do that because we have some anointing oil down here but we need the touch of Jesus but can I tell you the greatest need we have and many of us have already experienced this touch but there may be some that are here today maybe some of you that are watching online or watching this recording later that you've not yet experienced this touch and that is we need the touch of Jesus to heal our leprosy now I put that leprosy in quotes because we may not have leprosy which today we often think of Hansen's disease that's the kind of leprosy that is prevalent in places here in our world today but Leprosy, You see, in the Bible, I mentioned how leprosy not only needed to be healed, but to be cleansed, because leprosy in Scripture is always a picture of sin. And what a great picture of sin. Sin brings progressive, irreversible disintegration to almost every area of our life. It can physically, relationally, and in so many other ways, definitely spiritually. You know, I almost, 
named my sermon something about the living dead, but I thought people were thinking about zombies the whole time I'm preaching, so I didn't do that. But can I tell you that Jewish leadership throughout the history of God's people often referred to lepers as the living dead. Because they're still alive, but there's no hope for them. And their bodies are already decaying. And I see... Uh, again, this is just a picture in Scripture. And, and, and let me just read this passage to you. You can study it later. But Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Verse 1 is what states that principle. But then it talks, uh, Paul talks more about what God did about it in the next following verses. So I, it gets a little theological, but if you pay attention and listen, you'll catch the gist of what Paul is trying to say here about the good news we have that Jesus wants to heal our leprosy wants to cleanse us from our leprosy. In Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Spiritually speaking, we are born dead. We are sinners separated from God. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were born that way and you just lived it out. You walked, you lived it. That's the lifestyle. Doing your own thing. In which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We're basically just doing what we want. You know, I feel like I want to do this. I'm going to do this. It feels good. Do it. I tell you, there's pleasure in sin. It's easy to give ourselves over to sin. It's, as I've said many times, I heard a preacher say, if you're not enjoying sin, you're not doing it right. But the consequences, the consequences, among whom we all once, we once all, I'm sorry, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. In other words, we are brought into this where we are sinners and because of the the state we're in and the way we live our lives, we deserve God's judgment. In Romans, Paul says that we are all sinners separated from God. All have sinned, fall short of the glory of God. He also says the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but spiritual death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on in Ephesians 2 to talk about that. Ephesians 2, verse 5, where he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God and not a result of works so that anyone could boast. He said that we didn't deserve it, but God sent Jesus. Jesus came willingly. God come in the flesh to live not only a good life and say some great things and be a great example, but to die on a cross to pay the price for our sins. And because we didn't deserve it and we can't earn it, that's God's grace. And we receive it just like we do any other gift by faith. God You did this for me. Jesus, you did this for me. I want to receive it from you. It's very, very simple. How are we cleansed from our leprosy, our sin? We turn to God and say, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. Your word tells me that, but I know I am. I don't even keep my own standards, much less yours. And your word says that my sin separates me from you. And there's nothing I can do about it. But you loved me so much that you did something about it. You sent Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life that we can't live to die a death. That in the way you did things, it paid the price for my sins. And I ask that you forgive me based on what Jesus has done. So I repent of my sins. Forgive me and help me to live for you. I don't want to live in the sin anymore. That's what caused the problem in the first place. And I know that you will. Something as simple as a prayer like that can apply Jesus' death to our lives and to cleanse us from our leprosy. So you may be here today, you may be online, that that's what you most need. 
You may have all kinds of other needs, but can I tell you, that's the most important, the most serious need. And in just a moment, as we get ready to go to pray, if you need that, if you need to be cleansed from your sin, if you need a relationship with God, you come down to me, to my wife, to one of our elders. We'll be glad to lead you through that. And if you've got any questions, we can answer them very simply and pray with you to see that happen. We need the touch of Jesus to heal our leprosy. We need the touch of Jesus to meet our need. People were always wanting Jesus' touch for healing, for help, for deliverance. I think of that old, old, old song, He Touched Me. He Touched Me. Just a rejoicing in the fact that we cried out to Jesus and He touched me. And that song talks about the joy that floods our soul because we know He did. Now, let me just say this. Just a little teaching moment. We're getting ready to wrap this up. Go to prayer. Jesus usually did not do a miracle to do something for a person that they could do for themselves. Look at it up for yourself. You study it. There may be a couple times. There's one time Peter came and said, hey, Jesus, um, do we pay taxes? Somebody asked me to pay taxes, and, and I said, yeah, we do. But he says, I, I just kind of said that, but I don't really know. Do we pay taxes? And Jesus says, uh, he's talking about religious, spiritual, temple taxes. And, uh, and Jesus says, well, you know, I'm basically God's son. Do you think I should have to pay taxes? And Peter says, no, not really. You're his son. He says, but we don't want to offend anybody. So go out, catch a fish, and in the fish's mouth will be enough to pay taxes for me and you. Now, could, could they have done that on their own? Yes, but Jesus did a miracle. Too. But that's an unusual situation. Most of the time, when Jesus did a miracle, it's because people had a need they could do nothing about. And the only reason I mention that is that sometimes God's not doing what we'd like him to do because there's something he expects us to do about it. Sometimes we're not seeing him work in our marriage or our relationship with our kids like we'd really like him to because we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing about it. Sometimes we don't see him working in our finances like we desperately would like him to do because we're not doing what we're supposed to do about it. So that's something you need to keep in mind. But can I tell you that if you're not sure, whatever, you can still come and ask him. And you can even ask him. I pray this a lot. Lord, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. If there's something I need to do, show me. Show me. Show me. So we need Jesus' touch to meet our need. And then we need the touch of Jesus to give us strength. Not that there's a specific need, but just to live life. If we have a relationship with him, just to live a life that's pleasing to him. We face temptations. We face struggles. We face these things that we're praying about and God's chosen not to answer yet. And we need the strength to continue to persevere in faith, believing that God's got it all under control. He's going to bring good out of it. And I'm going to keep on plugging on and live for him. I know I need that every day. I need God's strength. His guidance is leading every day. I am so dependent on Jesus. But I love the promise in 2 Peter 1.3. He says, His divine power has granted to, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God makes available to us everything that we need to live this life and to be in right relationship with Him now and forever. We just need to depend upon Him. So let's all stand together. I'm going to invite our elders to come, my wife to come. In just a moment, I will come down. But whatever you need a touch from Jesus for, would you come and let us know and we'll pray with you? If you need your leprosy cleansed, you need a relationship with Jesus. You need to be saved from your sins. You need to surrender your life to Christ. We want to pray with you to see that happen. If you need healing in your body, we're not God. Can't tell you exactly what God's going to do or when he's going to do, but we will pray with you in faith saying, God, you can do it. You're at work in this situation. We pray for healing. If you need prayer for anything else in your life, that's what we'll be here for. So we're going into that time of worship and into that time of prayer. And I'll come back and close in prayer in just a little bit later. Hallelujah. There are those that are still praying. We want them to. Can we just take a moment to thank Jesus? Lord, we love you today. Lord, we praise you today. God, we thank you that you are the healer. You are the deliverer. You are the provider. You are the savior. You are our wisdom giver. Lord, we need all those things in our lives. And we look to you. Lord, we ask for your touch today. We ask for your touch tomorrow. We ask for your guiding hand to be with us. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for all that you did while you are here on earth, but thank you for all that you do here today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray that as we leave this place in just a little while, that we would go forth with joy because of your touch, with confidence, knowing that you're actively at work in our lives and our circumstances, and you want what's best for us, that we go forth in power to be a witness. We didn't talk much about that today, Lord God, but to be a witness, but also power to live the life you call us to live and to deal with the circumstances of life that you've not done something else about yet. And Father, I thank you that we have your promise that you are always with us and always ready to help us with whatever we face. God, we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 